Of course, you guys know today we are talking about fostering and adopting in your community. And so I've got some experts that are here with me. I have my friend, Monica. I have my sister, Anna Marie. I have my good friend, Zakia, and another one of my good friends, Sarah, who is here and gonna share their experiences with us. Um, it's Listen, this is probably the biggest group I've ever uh, interviewed on this podcast. So I got some questions, but I don't think we're gonna get through it. So I'm gonna start off with a super easy one. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal experience with adoption and or fostering? So who wants to go first? Somebody can jump in. Crickets. Y'all are not good at this. I can go first. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm like, I'm the kid in school that I would always be just like, I feel so bad for the Sunday school teacher. I'd be like, all right, I'll just do it. And I would just share everything. And people would be like, okay, Sarah, um, definitely an overshare. Uh, <laughs> so I'm always pulling it back. Same. Um, my experience with foster care and adoption is we, uh, my husband and I started um, f- being involved in foster care in November, 2018. So, oh, wow. I'm thinking four or five years. I'm terrible at math. I'm more of an English person. Um, but we were involved with it. Our first placement was actually the case that we ended up having the entire time we were involved. And it was our two kids that we adopted um, last July. Uh, we are, me and my husband, you can't see us, but we are both white and our two oldest children that we adopted are beautiful and black. And we have been, um, honestly, it was, it was a hard experience, but it was also, uh, I like, I'm not trying to be over spiritual, but it was a holy experience Yeah, because there were so many miniature little prayers that I prayed that God really just answered. Like I really wanted a family that we could just make like the entire family, our family too. Uh, And we really were like, we were able to do that. Um, We're working on our relationship the whole time. We had a really good relationship with birth mom, but right now it's hard. And I want to give her that space for healing. And I've told her that, that I'm like, Hey, this is a really hard reality to walk into. This isn't something you wanted. Um, and that's gotta be hard, but we're still doing really well with um, our kids' uh, grandma, their aunts and uncles, because that was so important to me, especially with transracial foster care and adoption, to just be able to invite their whole community in because we didn't want our kids to lose their identity as black kids as well as lose, and lose their family connections as well. Cause you can like, I've heard so many people talk about how you can bring in, positive role models and different things. But if you can involve the family, like if they're mm-hmm. safe individuals, like do that, because that's what matters so much to the kids. When they see you, not just loving them, but loving their family, it it changes your whole relationship. Oh my goodness. So just so y'all know, <laughs> Sarah's one of my favorite people in the world. And <laughs> if you really listen to her, it'll tell you why. Um, I, have a, I have a couple of follow-up questions and ladies, y'all co-host tonight so feel free to hop in with it i think for me um the i've watched you be intentional about you and your spouse like educating yourselves about black culture about ensuring that your kids you were like hey i made the choice you know we made the choice as white people to Mm -hmm you know, love on these black children and we're gonna make sure that they're proud of their blackness. And so I definitely wanna say uh, shout out to y'all because that's not a norm. Um, And it takes 
it takes extra work. Like it takes extra work to go out of your, I, I know for a fact that y'all have stood up, you know, educated yourselves. You've been in book clubs with me. You know, you, you've been in spaces where you're like, nope, I'm not going to take my kids to um, a church that doesn't look like them. You know, I want to be in a diverse space because that's important. And I just, I, but I love what you said about if the parent, you know, if the family is safe about still trying to hold on to those type of relationships. And I really want to hear um, maybe Anna Marie's thoughts on this. Um, because as you shared, I just thought about like, man, if I'm thinking about fostering or, or even go, going into adopting, I don't know that I would know to think like, hey, if you can, it's still good, you know, because these are choices that maybe parents made that the grandparents maybe didn't have anything to do with or the aunts or the uncles or just that history, you know, just wanting to know kind of that history. So I love that. Anybody have any, any questions for her? Any thoughts? Okay, good, good, good. Thank you, Sarah, for introducing yourself. We're going to keep it rocking. Um, all right, so Monica, can you tell us, you know, your personal experience with adoption or fostering? Yeah, so um, I have only been doing this since September um, of last year. So um, like eight months, not even nine now. And I've so far only had two full placements and two respites in my home. Um, and it has been an interesting experience. <laughs> we ended up getting um, two kids that were higher level than what we were actually um, licensed for because they just kind of sent a paragraph about them and didn't give enough detail. And so it's been very challenging for the first um, little bit, but it's still been incredible and something we still uh, continue to want to do. Everybody was always worried, like, well, we're just worried that since you got the, the tough kids so soon that you're going to quit. And I'm like, no, like, we're called to this. We're, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And so um, we're moving forward. And I think that uh, being that I work also in a foster agency as my job, that's been very helpful. I've been able to understand a little more about it than what your typical foster parent might because I've been around it longer than I've been actually fostering. I've been working at a foster agency for almost three years now. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been a lot of why I've been able to just kind of um, hang in there and see more than just what the struggles of being the first time foster parent was. And it's been excellent because me and my husband are on the same page. So I've really uh, enjoyed it at the same time that I have very much struggled with it. And um, I'm with um, Sarah on the family aspect and wanting uh, to see the family involved. Yeah. It's challenging for some of them where the family's not healthy at all. And so they really can't, but for others wanting to get them involved because ultimately most of the time it's, they're encouraging for families to be able to be back with the kids at some point. And so wanting to try and walk alongside them and encourage the relationship. So kind of got thrown into that for our first one too, trying to help with the family. So yeah, it's been a crazy ride uh, for our first time doing it uh, less than a year now, but it's a good one. So, and I really like what Sarah said about hard, but holy. <laughs> yeah. Definitely Yo, that's fire. That need to be a new t-shirt, Zakia. Uh-huh. Uh, but as soon as you said it, I was like, hmm. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wrote it down. <laughs> but I love that, Monica, what you, um, as you were just mentioning, you said, hey, you know, yep, it's hard, it's whole, but it's holy, uh, as Sarah, as Sarah mentioned. 
um, but also as you delve into you you mentioned like the the point and the purpose of fostering is really to reunite um, if, if it's safe, if the parents, and I guess for me, like I never under, first of all, I already know that tip, you know, from my understanding, from my research, black and brown people often, it is very high that you could get your kids taken from you because you can't provide some necessities. Um, and so I, which didn't really, I didn't really think too hard on it until I really stopped and was like, wait a minute. But if I if I'm fostering, the state is going to help me financially to take care of the kids that were taken because their parents, their birth parent, could not take care of them. You know, and I'm not talking about situations where they're like unsafe. I'm just talking about when they don't have basic necessities. And so it's always strange to me the way that you know human services is set up. Um, where we will remove kids from their environment, from their community, from their families uh, for, a, for a money situation, for a capitalist situation, but then give it to somebody else to take care of them. Like, that's very strange to me. And then, or just people needing help. Like, I've been there as a single parent with multiple kids when I just didn't have. And, and thank God I was typically involved in a, in a strong ministry um, that was available to help, but everybody doesn't have that. And so just kind of thinking through it, I'm glad that you mentioned about just reminding us like, hey, the thought of fostering is not to keep kids away from healthy from from healthy family communities, um, but it's to it's to kind of be respite so that they can go back. So I'm so glad that um, you mentioned that, Monica. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing more from you as well. All right, got my girl, Zakia. You want to tell us a little bit about your experience because yours is a little different. So I definitely want to, it's, it's a little different, but as I told, um, I was talking about this with someone and I said, honestly, Black family have been doing this for a long time. Like we didn't, mm -hmm. we didn't go through the courts, but I like my grandmother was definitely raising like some cousins. So mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and I, you know, their mom, their mom just wasn't around. So, you know, what about your experience, Z? So my experience is a little bit different. Um, and like Sarah said, hard and holy, right? <laughs> um, so I wasn't, so I've had, um, permanent guardianship since she was 24 months, um, no, 23 months. And so February, 2018, right? Um, and it, it was it was weird because it, this was the holy part. The Holy Spirit already told me what was gonna happen beforehand um, and literally orchestrated a trip for me to be there when everything needed to take place, right? Oh. And so um, lo and behold, I'm, I'm I'm back home, I'll just say back home for a couple of days. We go in front of the judge, we do everything. And I'm I'm happy that the Holy Spirit prompted me to do it that way um, and to make sure things were in place legally um, yeah. because now we're here five and a half years later, right? And yeah. there's things going on. But so the hard part, the, that, the, the easiest part was really just making sure she was safe. Mm -hmm. Right. Because ultimately that was the goal to make sure she was safe, to make sure she was being uh, raised in a safe environment and a loving environment. Um, and, you know, her situation, her story wasn't that at the beginning. Right. And so um, there were a lot of things I had to 
um, help her unlearn, even though she didn't have language, there were certain behaviors and things that, you know, yeah. we know where it comes from, right? Yeah. And so there were things that I had to help her unlearn um, throughout this past, what, five plus years. Um, and she's in a much better place. So you know her, you see her, she's happy, she's healthy. And she, she, she just loves people. She loves God. Yeah. Like she is an abundance of joy. Um, and so I always wanted foster kids because I grew up when my mom had foster kids. And so it was something I always just wanted to do. I was like, oh, I want to get foster kids. But my, um, my ex-husband was like, I'm not doing that. So he wasn't on the same page. Right. Um, and so, you know, it just so happens that this hap this is my blood. Right. And God yeah. orchestrated it that way. And so um, it's been a joy. Um, just watching her grow, watching her learn. And, you know, as far as with Sarah and Monica um, were saying about, you know, trying to involve the safe people, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, for me, that would be ideal. Yeah. The people were safe, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so the struggle that I'm having in that area is she's resistant to it right and so now i'm stuck between making sure she still feels safe but because my situation is different and the courts are involved they're trying a reintroduction period and she's resistant to it right and so that is the struggle with really trying to you know ensure her you know you're safe you're here you're loved like nobody's doing anything that you you aren't okay with right now right um yeah. but we kind of need to we're trying to navigate between the two things you know and also trying to um establish a healthier relationship with her birth mom because you know at some point there was a relationship right yeah. um and for whatever reason it dissolved and so and i get it you know when you go through things um there's there's a level of pain and trauma that comes with that and you know you you lash out sometimes even at the wrong people right um and so really i've been in a space um especially this year with really trying to establish a healthy relationship with her because i feel like if uh she sees us have a healthy relationship yeah. she will be more prone to accepting her because right now it's just yeah you know what I mean? And so and so that's the conversation I kind of had, you know, like, listen, we kind of got to be on the same page because she's going to remain resistant because I'm on the only thing she knows. Yeah. I'm glad that you again, I think it goes back to what I said to Sarah, where it is the it is the adult's responsibility to get uncomfortable. So our kids are comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't understand why that's a hard <laughs> <laughs> value to get but I'm like yo if this is my kid it's my job to get on the you know it's our job to get on the floor and color when we don't want to and we tired after work it's our mm -hmm. job to fix them food and it's my job to get uncomfortable and if even if I'm going to be in a space with you know you know their other parent their birth parent or whatever the case may be I, I have to do that. I don't speak a lick of Spanish, but my seven-year-old is Puerto Rican and black. And we go to the Puerto Rican day parade every year. I don't know what's happening. 
but she just be up there dancing. And you know what's important? That she sees people that look like her. She's learned, they teach her. They be teaching all of us like what to do. We're doing Duolingo Spanish. That is my responsibility. Like that is her culture. I cannot ignore that. Um, so I do have to be involved, you know, with her, with her um, family, you know, ensuring that she meets them and knows them. So yeah, I'm so thankful for you, um, Zaki, and just have enjoyed watching you guys um, really walk through that entire thing. So we're going to be talking some more. Okay, Anna Marie, we, the floor is yours. The floor is yours. <laughs> so I like to say I think my story is a little bit different um, from the traditional stories that you hear of, you know, children going into foster care or what have you. My mom was an addict, and so my grandmother raised me until I was about eight. And we moved here from Ohio. Um, and when we moved here, we were homeless. So we stayed in a couple different homeless shelters. And I remember being in school one day and the social worker came to pick me up from school and was just kind of like, I'm taking you to live somewhere else because you don't have anywhere to live. And so, you know, being a kid, I didn't know, you know, well, will I see my grandmother? Why is my grandmother not here? Like, why can't she be the one to take me? I didn't really understand it. And I didn't get that opportunity to kind of say my goodbyes before going to the first foster home that I lived in. Mm -hmm. So the first foster home, I lived there for about three, three and a half years, um, went through some sexual abuse and things like that there and kind of had to stay in that environment until I, you know, finally spoke up to say this is what was going on. And so they moved me from there to a group home and it was co-ed. So um, I think the boys were like on one end, the girls were on another, and I stayed there for a few months and then left there and went to my second foster home, which that one was cool. I actually really loved it. Um, first time having my own room, I had my own bathroom and it was just myself and one other little kid that was younger. So that environment was really neat, very family oriented. Um, and I was hoping I would get to stay there, honestly. Like I, I did not want to leave. And then they came to pick me up from there to take me to the third foster home that I lived in. Mm. So the third one um, was a lot of people, <laughs> to say the least. It, it was a lot of people. So I went from the first foster home with about three other, I think there were maybe three other people that lived there to a foster home where it was just myself and another kid to the third foster home where there were about seven or eight of us. And so um, I lived seven there. Seven or eight kids? Was, like seven or eight yes. other kids. Seven or eight other kids, yes. And so, and we were in a four bedroom house. So my oldest brother had his own room because he was the oldest. My mom was still um, legal, like she was legally married, but her and her husband were separated, but he just lived like on the back side of the house. It was kind of weird. Um, but so we didn't really, you know, we would see him here and there, but he didn't really come down to interact with us much. And so the girls had a room, there were two bunk beds and a single bed in the girls room. So five of us in a room. And then the, boy, the other boys had their own room and there were about two bunk beds there. And my mom had a room, had a bed in the room with the boys. So that was my upbringing. Yes, yes. So that no one, yeah, no one knew. Um, and I used to try to hide it. Like, you know how, and I don't know if they still do it now, but sometimes the kids, like usually that first week of school, you would have to like put pictures of your family on the poster board to kind of show your family tree. So yeah. I would try to figure out a way to not do my family tree because I was embarrassed to, 
say, well, this, you know, well, this was my family this year, but here this is another year. My family looks different than the year from before. Wow. So I, you know, would try to stay home from school or just come up with reasons as to why I couldn't produce the the project. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of us in growing up in that house. And I remember sometimes there would be situations where you know, the social worker may call in the middle of the night and tell my mom, hey, we have these kids and we have nowhere else for them to go. Like, we know you don't have room, but can you still take them in? And she would allow those kids to come. So, you know, kids in one room, kids in another room, my brother in his own room, and then we would have other kids that were sleeping on the sofa or sleeping on the floor in the living room. So, full house. Yeah, full house. So I was there until... 16 I think is when I got adopted so my my foster adoptive mom um she adopted me I think around 16 because it was right around my birthday when it happened and from my understanding it was more so to get me out of the system so that I would not you know still be in at 18 and be considered a foster kid so to speak but I did have like I had a small relationship with my grandmother for a little bit in the first foster home that I lived in it did not last long because the foster mother was also verbally abusive as well so she would make comments in regards to like why my grandmother didn't want to see me when in actuality it was more so my grandmother had alzheimer's so she couldn't really you know she had no control over us being able to visit and kind of what that you know what that would look like and so when i made it to my third foster home some of my biological family members like they did reach out and you know we're trying to get involved in things like that so we were able to have like a family dynamic on weekends but it just didn't feel the same because i didn't really know them so to speak right. like i i knew like y'all are saying oh okay we're related you know i'm your cousin but it it just didn't feel the same because i didn't grow up with them wow i mean there's so much uh first thank you for being so transparent and really helping i think you're going to help all of us uh tonight as we think about some of the challenges that come with fostering and adopting um and how to be better prepared and so just thinking through your story um you know monica i kind of wanted to ask you like thinking about what uh, anna marie just shared do you think it was because her mom was so amazing and so willing at that last foster home that that's why they kept putting, you know, more, because again, as I'm thinking about it, at first I was like, oh my God, that's a lot. And then I started thinking like, you know what? I actually only know the people on this call who are involved in fostering or adopting. So I don't, as many people as I know, I don't know that many people. So then I started thinking like, maybe it just wasn't other people. And she was just like, I, I would rather them be where I know they'll be safe than to be out in another home where they might be harmed. Monica, just from, you know, because you work there too. Do you feel yeah. like something that comes where people try to, you know, have, have to skim the rules in order to have the kids somewhere safe? Yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of skimmed rules when it comes to foster care, especially because with counties that are, um, that have foster homes that are under their county, they typically can do emergency placements in the middle of the night when it's, hey, this just happened, we have to have a home. But typically you can really only do that from your own county because Mm -hmm. it's such a quick, like, we've got to get them in a home. This just Mm -hmm. happened, everything went down, we've got to move them. And so it's hard to call up a network that has another home in another county that could take them when it's the middle of the night. 
And so you end up having to be forced to figure something out within the county. And there's often not um, a great number of homes. Um, and so I definitely see where they would put them somewhere where, first of all, they were willing, whether that's because they didn't have a backbone or because they really loved it, like in the sense of, you know, um, like the reason, but it's, um, they would have put him with someone who was willing, who would say, yes, we'll stretch the rules with you a little bit, and then also put them with someone that they trusted um, to be able to have that many kids. I think what sounded crazy to me is the fact that um, it's this one woman taking care of so many, and yet they seem to trust them. And to me, that means that there had to have been a significant amount of care to some extent, um, which I'm sure that Anna Marie could kind of explain that more, but um, there had to have been a level of care that they trusted for her to be able to have that many in the home. And so, yeah, absolutely. There's not a ton of homes, unfortunately, that counties can send emergency placements to that are willing to take in the middle of the night that have enough beds. Uh, and so, yeah, especially if it was like a sibling group or something, there's some places that won't take sibling groups. There's some that are like, oh, I can take one of them, but not all of them. And they don't want to separate them. So yeah, they end up kind of stretching and bending the rules a little bit to make it happen. And really the answer to that is more of us getting involved, right? Like if we can, like if we yeah. can, if we have space, if we have room, if we like, we're, people are needed, like homes are needed, safe homes, let me be clear. Cause mm -hmm. if you know your home is not safe, don't, I don't even want you to apply. But <laughs> like safe homes are needed to do so because everybody's not like Zakia who is gonna say, hey, this person is, you know, kin to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take them in. Everybody's not gonna do that. Mm -hmm. So we have to, and I don't, honestly, I don't understand. I think I saw a meme um, many years ago and it had like the number of churches in America and then it had like the number of kids uh, in foster care and the number of churches far outweighed the number of kids in foster care and the number of kids that were waiting to be adopted, uh, which I understand are two different things. And I just, it made me think like, I really feel like I'm not, I, if Jesus said, suffer the little children, let them come. Like I take that personal. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I told my oldest son, he's 16. I'm like, when you get out, I'm, we signing up, <laughs> you know, because we'll have, we'll have three still in the home, but we'll have space to be able to safely, you know, house someone if they, if they need it, you know? And so I just, I was just like, I don't understand why we aren't all thinking about that, which is getting me to this next space. And I'll ask all of y'all, like, what do you feel like people can do to prepare or, well, yeah, like first let's get to the, maybe the basic organic stuff. What is some, what is, what can someone do if they say, I think I'm interested in fostering um, or adoption? You know, what is something that people can do? Is there something locally that they can do? Who should they reach out to in their community? I think there are a couple of options for that. Um, there's two different, at least I'm speaking from Ohio's point of view, so I don't know how it is in other states but we have what's called a network and then you have job and family or the children's services through job and family. I'm part of a network, which is someone that counties contract with that license families and they send them to different counties. Um, 
And so if you're interested, then what they would do is either contact a network that um, takes families in their county or contact Job and Family Services. So most Job and Family Services uh, websites will have a link that they can go to and say, hey, I'm thinking about this, an email or a number they can call. Um, and then you can just research foster care networks in my county or something like that as well to find some private networks that um, may be helpful, which there's a difference between the two, mainly what they can do, what services they provide and kind of yeah. the um, account or the support that you get is different in both areas. Some is stronger in one area and then weak in the other and vice versa. But ultimately, um, if they're really considering it before or in the middle of the process of contacting someone, do as much research as possible, just in the sense of understanding exactly what it is um, and making sure they understand their motivation as well. Um, I read something, an article yesterday that was talking about if your motivation is simply to feel rewarded and feel good, get a pet. <laughs> because yes. Unfortunately, with foster care, it is rarely as rewarding as it is challenging. Yeah. Um, you're you're rewarded in the sense your rewards in heaven. You know that you're doing good for the kingdom. You know that um, you're doing good and you're pouring out your heart. But it is incredibly hard, and so you don't see the reward as often as you feel the difficulty. So uh, that's research and knowing your motivations. <laughs> yeah, no, that's transparent. Let me ask y'all this. Um, now that we've kind of gotten some of the like hardcore stuff down, what um, what is something that people can do to prepare for, you know, to be a foster or an adoptive parent? What is something that, you know, like, I feel like if you if you selfish, this might not be your calling like this. Right. <laughs> I was no, going to say the first no. thing I like is prepare your heart, like yeah. make sure like you have a heart for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to birth your own children, mm -hmm. you know, but it's something different. And I'm, I love this child. Like I birth her. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but there's some, it, it's different to raise a child that you did not give birth to. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to prepare your heart. You have to have a heart for it. You got to be called to this thing, right? Um, because you don't want to resent any decisions that you made mm -hmm. or resent even the people involved or anything, you know? I think that's sometimes where maybe the abusive uh, fostering people come in, right? Because now they've made this decision because it, it, it looked good, it felt good to make the decision, but they didn't have a heart for it. So I really think like the first thing first is like to prepare your heart. Make sure your heart is in, in the right place um, and you're not looking to be rewarded. That's yeah, good. I would have to agree um, with both you and Monica on that. Like from Monica's perspective, I think a lot of, and this is just me on the outside, you know, based off of conversations that I've had with other people as I went through um, my fostering, you know, experience. But I know sometimes it seems like people are just in it for the money. So it's like your your reward is more of the monetary piece of it. And you're not thinking about the kids themselves. But then on the opposite end, you know, like you said, Zakia, with your baby, it's like you love her like your own. And a lot of people don't have that mindset. Um, even for me, like the first two that, well, the first one 
definitely I didn't feel like I just felt like I was just there. Like <laughs> you getting the check for me and these other three kids that's here, two, three kids, and that's it. Like that's all you care about. The yeah. second one was a little bit more homey. The third one, I didn't feel like she was in it for the check at all. I just felt like I didn't feel like that love per se. So, you know, yeah, we got like 10 kids. She had like 10 kids too. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of us. So, and and the dynamics was very unique because one of the girls that was there was like her biological niece. Um, She had went through some things with her mom. And so she took her in and then she, my oldest brother had a set of twin nephews, I think. And so she brought them in. They had some things. So my brother was adopted, but the nephews were not. She was just fostering them. And then one of my sisters, like she adopted her when she was about two. My baby brother, she adopted him when he was younger. So we were just kind of all in there. And then one of my other sisters was the biological to my baby sister. So it was a mixture of, you know, the dynamics of the type of kids that we had. But like I said, I didn't feel like that love per se. So it was never, and even... I don't think I ever caught her mom until maybe like 19, 19, 20, 21-ish. And, and I think it was just something like random when I said it. But like she, and she had been fostering for a long, like a long, long time. But um, like her family, I never really felt included um, with my adoptive family, so to speak. Even to this day, like I still, you know, don't really have that relationship with them like that. So I think to to answer you, my biggest thing would be to prepare your heart, but also maybe take some classes so that you're, and I know that's something that's offered as well, um, but I think you need to kind of prepare yourself to learn to love a child that's not yours biologically. Yeah. And try to determine how can you organically kind of give that child that love that you would want somebody to give to you. Yeah. Like going off that, like some of the practical things that I just am like is so important is whether it's biological children that you're preparing to have, whether it's welcoming an adoptive child or walking into foster care, go to counseling first. Mm, Children is heavily triggering. If Mm -hmm. you have any kind of trauma in your childhood and growing up in America, we all, especially millennials, when they talk about like those, there's a reel going around about all the trauma we've just witnessed growing up as millennials alone with all the stuff in the world, go to counseling because Mm -hmm. that is one of the greatest things I'm so glad I did because these so many times people will talk about how kids coming in have problems. We all have problems. It's just that if you haven't learned to del- deal with your own, you are going to become abusive. You just are because it's heavily triggering. And if you haven't worked through your own stuff, and I mean with everything, like I have um, a transracial adoptee I follow named Hannah Matthews. And she even said that. She's like, why don't we talk enough before a woman gets pregnant? Have you been through counseling? Because mm, there's so good. much in child rearing that just comes up, that just comes up with your own relationship with your parents, your own relationship in the world. So I would say go to counseling, find out your motivations. And going off what um, Anna Marie says, it's so sad to me that so many people go in for the money. If that is your motivation, there are so, there's better ways to make money. The money I mean, is not that you good. Be, you could be a podcaster. It's, <laughs> it's not that good. Like, I'm sorry. You, like, and that's you, what you I wanted to say YouTube. too. It, you make more money that way. It's mm-hmm. just not like, 
we had to like provide so much of our own money in. And again, it's worth it because you should be treating these kids that come into your own and your home as your own. We started college funds for our kids before they were ever in the adoption process because we're like, we want our kids to leave here knowing like, hey, you have some seeds for your future. You have options, you have hope. Like we believe in you, we are gonna cheer you on. We're gonna invest in you. And like, you can't do that if you haven't done the financial work. So get your finances in order, because if you're purely relying on this check to raise these kids, it's just not a good option for you. Like, it's just, you're just not in that place in your life. Like you need to be financially independent so that you can literally take the check that comes in every month and pour it into the child, sign yeah. them up for extracurricular activities. Like that was the saddest thing to me because sometimes people will compliment me and be like, oh my gosh, like I finally met a great foster parent in Cobb County, Georgia. And I'm just like, it made me sad. Like that didn't make me feel good. That made me sad because I'm like, I know myself, I am not perfect. You can interview my kids. I am not, um, I'm not a perfect parent. So it made me sad that they thought that was good. I just, I just think that everybody should be putting in the effort. And then speaking as a white woman, if you're being ready to invite children into your home, you need to be willing how to do hair that is different than your own. That was my first question is where are the hair salons? What kind of braiding is appropriate based on age? What kind of styles can I learn to do my own? How do you wash hair? That's not a different texture. How often? Like, and also I want to add to this, especially as a white person, if you've never been in a room where you're the only white person, you're or you're not ready to get involved in foster care. You need to do that first. Oh, that's so good. Wow. You're just not. Like you have to be willing to go into environments where you are the only white person because especially with foster care, like you said, it's a sad reality, but there are more brown and black kids in foster care. Mm -hmm. It's just a fact. And yeah. so you have to be willing to go into these spaces. And I also feel like that's a great opportunity to build a relationship with mom because so many times you wanna go in and demonize, be like, oh, they lost their kids, so they don't know anything. Talk to them about hair care. A lot of times like that's an opening conversation of like, hey, how can I best take care of your daughter like, or your son? What do you do at home? Like, what can I do? Because it involves them in the parenting. So yes. I would just, a lot of things is just put down your ego you don't know everything. You need to step in and realize humbly that there's things that you can be educated on, that yeah. you are not on a pedestal, that you're all in the same playing field. Because as Monica said, and this is such a huge thing, foster to adopt is not a real term. Foster care was invented for reunification. It was meant to be a place where, you, where kids could come in and then go back out. And the point is, is now they have a built-in community. You can be there for these kids, their mom, dads, aunts, uncles. You're now part of their community so that hopefully these kids never have to end up back in the system. They now wow. have you in their life, Wow, all of you. That doesn't always happen, but I hear so many people going, oh, I can't have biological children or, oh, there's children to adopt. And I'm just kind of like, guys, a lot of these parents are not what you think they are. A lot of them have been through so much trauma in their own life mm -hmm. and no one helped them. Try to start in that place, a place of compassion, a place of grace. Yes, things have to change. Like even in our own family's case, like I'm not gonna get into details, but yeah. things eventually had to evolve and change. And it was heartbreaking. There's like, there's no, it's the saddest reality about adoption because it's beautiful, but it's so broken. It's so yeah. broken as well. And mm -hmm. you have to acknowledge mm -hmm. that because so many people wanna be like adoption rocks. And I'm like, 
No, it doesn't. Like it's yeah. a like it's like when you have to get surgery on a body part. Yes, it, you're you'll feel good after. You're like, wow, this is healthy. But it's it's a broken thing that you've had to go through to have to go through that, and you might have to live without an organ, without a certain body, like all mm -hmm. these things. And I'm like, that's there's kind side of effects. Is. Yeah. So yeah. I think just be prepared for your expectations to be blown, to go in with humility, to go in knowing that you need to be educated, and just see these people as people. Cause I think so many times you want to call somebody a case number. You want to look at them as just an outside or just call them by whatever the court system calls them, but do your best to get to know them as a person, because there's so many stories behind the scenes and just prayer, just pray over every detail before kids come in your home. Like my friend, I have another friend named Sunny. So it's so funny. Um, <laughs> she came over and we prayed over every room of my home that um, these kids would be in because, and I do feel like there's just so much power in the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit just comes in. And like, even with my kid's grandma, when she came in and this was the ultimate compliment that anyone could ever say to me, she was like, I felt like my grandkids were safe here. Cause when I came into your home that day, you welcomed me in and I just felt Jesus. And I was like, yes, that should be the whole point. Awesome. So that was right there. Sarah just preached the message. I don't know. <laughs> All right, like I said, I'm a talker. So like, what I get, like, this is one of my passions where I'm just like, uh, listen, like, you y'all need to do like a a, a fostering uh, revival or something. <laughs> 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 Got a word, okay? But let me um let me ask y'all about this, and I think uh, Anna Marie kind of touched on it. Uh, but can you guys tell me, you know, what is the importance of support networks? for families who adopt their kids or are fostering um, or taking care of kids that are not biologically theirs. What is some, what are some things the community can do? Like what's something that, hey, this was definitely needed and it was a miss, or this is something I've seen people do that was really helpful. I think Sarah mentioned, you know, her, you know, coming over, calling her team over to, you know, pray and anoint every room. You know, what are some other things that um, you guys feel like were really important? So I think for me, because it happened so suddenly, it was like, although Holy Spirit kind of had spoken to me, um, he literally spoke it to me a couple of days before it happened, right? Yeah. And so I went on a trip back home and came back with a baby, right? And so <laughs> in that, like, like literally, I went home on a Wednesday and on Monday I came back with a baby. And so um, I think the, the support that I had was amazing. Like, I mean, my friends at that time, like, they completely rallied again uh, around me. Um, I was getting boxes of diapers, I clothes, hand me down. Like, what do you need? Like, how yeah. do we make this successful and easy for you? Right. I had literally just moved to Atlanta in September. Um, and this happened in February. I hadn't even transitioned into my own space yet at that time. Right. So I was still staying with a family member from just moving down here. But I think just the support that I had with people really rallying around me and making sure that I had everything that I needed, like from mm -hmm. clothes to toys to money to diapers, just everything. They were like, how, how do we support you? And yeah. so I just really having just people around you that really love you, that believe in you, you know, and that they're going to pour into you, you know? Um, so that, that was what helped me. So I, I, so I would round that and say, number one is when somebody, um, when there's a child that comes into the home, however, through fostering or you're just taking care of them or you're adopting, 
almost treated like a newborn baby. Like, you know, when you have a newborn and everybody gives you the gifts, like do the Make same stuff. thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That same energy. We need stuff. Okay. Good to yeah. know. What's something I've got a, to say? Monica, you have one? I've got a friend that um, for the last two placements that we've gotten, immediately I've reached out to and said, hey, um, this person needs a coat. And she sends me the money to be able to purchase a coat. And every time it's just one need and she's like, all right, I got it. And she sends me the money, um, not because we don't have it, but more just she wants to help. She wants to make sure that there's other things um, that are taken care of. And then um, the other thing that I think is really important, and I don't have it necessarily even when, even though I'm part of a network um, of foster parents is being someplace that the kids can go to uh, for respite. Respite Mm -hmm. is short term, basically. It's usually up to two weeks, at least here in Ohio, you can do respite for up to two weeks. But the importance of if I had friends and family, which my, my family loves the kids that we've taken in, but they're busy, it's crazy. They really can't do a ton of like, Um, watching them for us so that me and my husband can go do something or so that we can um, like serve in a ministry or something that we can't take the kids to just because it's you know not appropriate but I think that a big thing that people can do is choose to become certified to at least be respite parents Mm -hmm. um, so that for up to two weeks or less they're able to have the kids in their own home temporarily so that the other foster parents can go on a vacation. That sounds crazy. I used to, before I started fostering, think that it was so cruel that um, foster parents would go on a vacation without their kids. And I was like, but don't want that and make them feel in love. But then it dawned on me, first of all, parents do it all the time without their kids. Like parents, like biological parents do it all the time too, where they're like, nope, we're taking a vacation. I'm in Orlando right now in a Jumanji room and my kids are not with me. Yes, and so I realized like, no, it's normal because like my husband and I really need that time right now. And because again, it was two very challenging kids that we got for our first ones. And so, which by the way, um, both of them, one has already left and the other one's leaving us next week. So it's kind of weird that we're not going to have anyone in our home after next week for a bit. But basically, if I had family and friends that could take them overnight because they got certified, they got the background check, they got everything they needed so that I could go on a husband a weekend with my husband. That would be one of the biggest supports that I could ever need because you need that time, you need that ability to take a day. Um, and if you don't have people around you that the county says like, yes, you can have them um, in your home, then it's just all on you. And so I think becoming respite providers would be a big deal. Oh yeah, I love that. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing. So thank you for sharing. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Anybody yep. else? What we can share? What we can share? Sweet. Okay, I love that you guys are are killing it. Okay. Well, let me ask you this: What is your favorite memory to do with this experience? What is your favorite? Other than maybe you know, you adopted them, or it was your first. Or was your first time, you know, getting home? What is like something that when you think about it, you just like, that was hilarious or that was so fun. Is there something that kind of sticks out to you where it was just a moment that in this space that you celebrate? Like, ooh, I felt really good at this moment. Anybody have something? Uh, For me, it was um, our foster daughter is 
um, 11, but she's developmentally delayed and there's been no diagnoses or anything. So she's got a, um, she also has seizures. And what happened when she came to us is she was regularly having absence seizures that weren't treated. Family didn't get her treated. And so she'd been since from six to 11 having seizures and not being treated for them. Wow. And so she came to us not being able to, um, do any kind of math even if you told her what two, two two plus two was she wouldn't remember it five minutes later because her brain couldn't store it because it was just always tired um and when we got her into care to start taking care of the seizures one of my favorite moments after a few months was we were sitting there doing math homework and she usually uses her little cubes to like count um so for five plus seven she would put her cubes out and she'd count plus seven she'd get to 12 or whatever but there was a math problem it was a small one it was like three plus two or three plus six something small and she just goes like this and I saw her like look up and she goes and she's like pointing and then all of a sudden she goes oh and she yells out the answer and I was like what and then she was like I did head math and like she was so excited I love it like she looked just thrilled and she was like I'm so smart and it was like this beautiful moment of knowing that like um because we were able to take her and kind of get her um some of that like stable doctor care and stuff like that um she was able to have that moment where her brain was finally beginning to learn things and she could progress to doing head math because she was learning and growing and remembering things and I just think it was one of the cutest moments because she really just her face lit up and she clicked like oh my gosh I just did that in my head (laughs) so I think that was a pretty cool moment I love that thank you anybody else what a favorite moment where you're like "Ooh, this is good I mean I have I mean the, the biggest thing for me is like watching her um really just come into who she is um she's very how do I she's very outspoken she's gonna say what she wants what she doesn't want what makes her uncomfortable um and so I think just knowing that everything that I've taught her like she knows I can use my voice and this is okay right um and I'm gonna be heard right and so I think that's huge um and honestly the other thing is really just watching her at her very young age of seven like really love God like that is so huge for me to watch her go and pick up a Bible and for that to be her favorite Christmas gift that she got this past year like she was so overjoyed um and she got everything she wanted but that was the most important thing for her it was what she got happy about and so I just think watching her really just come into who she is know who she is know what she wants know what she doesn't want and being able to verbalize those things because even you know when she came into the home she she wasn't verbal um at 23 months she was you know she she said two things um and by the time she turned two the next month and then um within three months she was talking and so just you know with me having conversations with her and actually just talking to her all the time just her gaining her language and now just seeing where she's at now compared to where she was where she had no language and now you know just watching her come into who she is and just use words that I'm like where did you even learn that like um because genius 
yeah you know it's just like huh so yeah I think that's that's huge for me I love that um Sarah what would you do you have one you have one aha moment <laughs> I have so many that are like so full like that give me so much joy i can think of like court is just awful for everything all around but i think at the beginning of the journey i think it was amazing and i, I think it helped change some people's perspectives because like we would go to court and we would pray with our kids birth mom like we would laugh with her we would tell her stories and there was times we would be like wait you're the foster parents like, like almost expecting us to be on the other side of the room trying to villainize mom and like for them to just see like it doesn't have to be this way we've created like you guys have also helped create a system like this mantle it that's all work together i think also just doing like holidays together and like especially that's probably one of my favorite joy moments is like when you can see kids be like it doesn't have to be either or it can be and like I can love you guys and I can love the, the first family that God gave me it doesn't have to be like I don't have to pick sides and like for them to get a holiday like with everybody they love in their life like yeah. it makes all the like the work worth it like you're just like even thinking about like I just had um my first biological child and like I know that he's gonna call my kids grandma, grandma, because he's gonna hear his big brother and big sister all the time being like, grandma, grandma, and he's gonna do the same thing. He'll be like, grandma, like, and he just, and I just think that that's just so beautiful because it's like, it just reminds me of God's family. Like it really does, like how you can just get united in the, in what is really the darkest of times, but when God's light just shines into it, it just creates beauty out of the ashes. Like it creates beauty in dark places. So I think just the relationships that we've gained and like everything that um, Monica and Zakia said, it's so true. Like seeing the development of kids, like seeing how your impact really just help change a kid, like help them learn to use their voice or help them remember like you really are smart. Like let's do the work. Like, yeah. I don't know all of those. And also it's really cool to see like the longer you have kids in your care, how your own personality rubs off on them. So like <laughs> some of your interests become them. They start saying things that you say, like actually one of my favorite things is I was getting really annoyed because I, I told you I'm not a perfect parent. I was getting really, really annoyed at um, one of my kids one day where I just was like, okay, this living room, like I just cleaned it up, but now there's like things everywhere. And I literally, and I said like, my God. And then my son, Jonah just goes, um, Waymaker, and like there's a line about my God, so he starts singing it, and I just start dying. Where I'm like, okay, you were just the Holy Spirit to me, like convicting me because I'm like getting mad about this, and he's like, my God, that is who, and so like that's what he's singing. So I still love to think about that. I'm like, thanks God for using my kids. <laughs> so funny. Love I love you. what you said about that personality thing, Sarah, because that that's where we're at right now. And it's like, and I get surprised at something like the other day I asked her something and she was like, how am I supposed to know that? And I was like, <laughs> never mind. And then I so I'm telling my mother, and she's like, well, you say stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? Never mind. I'm not talking to you about it either. <laughs> the things that I do and say, and now she's like giving me the faces and she talks with her hands like I do. I'm just like, this is a lot, you know, <laughs> this is a lot. But it's so cool because you really it is, it like is. how like like people be like nature versus nurture. And I'm like, it's all of it. Like it's all, all of, it. of it coming yeah. together. And so it's like so cool to just see your kids' little personalities and how your personality impacts theirs. So I, I love it all. Yeah. Anna Marie, do you have a, a moment from your perspective? Um, so my aha moments are a little. They're a little different, 
Um, and, and I say that because my experience was pretty traumatic, right? Yeah. So, and even though the second foster home that I was in, like, wasn't as bad as the, and I hate to say the other two, but like, not as bad. Um, I don't know. There weren't really like, even between the three, there weren't any moments where I was like, oh my God, like, I yeah. love this experience. Like, yeah. even now, like, I hate holidays. Christmas is the worst. I am typically the Grinch the whole time during Christmas. My yeah. friends are always like, well, make your own, you know, traditions. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't care. So I think my aha moments were more so like, I remember growing up on like through the weekdays, we would come home from school, put our book bags down and we would go straight into the kitchen. And each girl had something that we had to prepare for dinner. The boys would handle the yard and the outside dog that we had. So my aha moment was kind of more so, okay, when I have kids, like I'm not gonna make my kids prepare dinner. Like it's cool to do it with your kids, but it's, that's not gonna be a necessity that they have to do when they come home from school. I want them to focus yeah. on their school. Um, yeah. Also, it was kind of more so like, I remember on weekends, we would get up early y'all, early Saturday morning and we would be scrubbing baseboards and washing walls with the buckets. Me too. that was my biological mama, girl. <laughs> Listen, when I say we will be up washing clothes, please don't wash clothes on Sunday. All those clothes, got, they better have been done by Saturday afternoon. Like, house got to be clean from top to bottom. Pulling out refrigerators and washing machines and sweeping and mopping. That was what we did on weekends. So my little aha moment, I was like, this, this, this is not like, this is child labor. This cannot be of the Lord. This is not right. And my mama was real religious, y'all, like real religious. So Wednesdays, we were at church for Bible study. We, the church that I grew up in was um, AME. So African Methodist Episcopal was, was uh -huh. the church. So we had YPD meetings. I hated it because we had to wear these long green skirts then went to your ankles and I was the girl that wanted to wear the little short, little cute skirts and my mama was like, you're a little fast tail. So <laughs> I said, my kids would not do that. Like we, uh-uh, we not doing it. Sunday morning, we getting on the church van. We got to go to Sunday school in the morning. Then we got to be in church. Lord forbid, it's youth Sunday. So we got to be in the pulpit giving the prayer and reading scriptures out the Bible. And we singing in the choir. And don't let it be the day that the pastor got to preach somewhere else because we're going to that service too. Like, it was just a lot. So I say that to say all of my aha moments were more so the things that I hated as a kid or that I felt like was too much. I wanted to make sure my kids didn't have to experience that. But the biggest thing for me, my mom didn't come to any of my like ROTC competitions that I did. And so like when we would have practice after school, she was never the person that picked me up. She was never the person that would take me to school when we had competition. So when we have to leave early on Saturday morning, she was never that person. So I just always kind of put in the back of my head when I had kids, I don't care if I got to leave work, call out sick or whatever, like I'm going to be the one to take you. I'll be the one to be there with you. Even if I can't physically be there, somebody else will be there, but just to make sure they had that support. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was real, honestly, because some of the stuff that you were uh, describing is like cultural black family <laughs> get up and clean put that yeah. gospel music on at 6 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday yeah your Jackson early in the horrible, morning horrible. all of that yeah. listen y'all my mother used to pull the clean dishes out the cabinet and make us wash them again <laughs> <laughs> like, 
what kind of craziness is this? It's crazy. I hate when she comes to my house. I put everything in a dishwasher. I'm not washing dishes. <laughs> that is crazy. But no, like I just think it just hearing all of y'all perspectives. Um, most you know, everybody that knows me knows uh I uh I have a seven-year-old daughter who's Puerto Rican and black, who is my birth daughter, um, and who has never met her biological uh, father or had contact with her uh, biological father. Um, again, as we talked about earlier, you know, dangerous spaces, making sure people stay around it, but um, has always been really engaged with her by, you know, her maternal or her paternal uh, grandmother and I, they are super engaged, amazing women, like just, just amazing. I, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Well, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, um, um, after we've kind of been praying through and, you know, trying to reach out and, you know, see if there was anything that, you know, we could try to work and, and salvage, you know, with her biological father, my, um, my husband said, okay, that's enough. And we started the process of her adoption and it was completed last Thursday. And so she is like so excited because we've always been really like clear with her, you know, like, hey, cause she, you know, he came into her life when she was like 14 months. So she only knows this is, this is my dad. And so now, you know, but I also didn't want her to ever grow up and not you know, like suddenly somebody be like, you realize you're Puerto Rican and your daddy's black, right? You know, <laughs> so so we always have been really open with her. Like she's, you know, she always knows. And so now she's been going around telling everybody like, just so you know, I got adopted. Like that. That just made me so emotional. Like, yeah. man, because I see how he loves her. Yeah. Like yeah. that is his child. Like he loves that little girl. Yeah, and I think it's like what Sarah said, like we choose, when we choose to do this, these are, when I think about fostering, when I think of adoption, you know, I think about these are children that I chose to parent, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it makes me love you more, but I am saying I understand that, you know, my, you know, birth children, it is different when somebody steps in to, to choose to parent them. Um, and so I just love, you know, you, all of you ladies, amazing stories. And I really hope that we encourage somebody today to just think, you know, to take that next step, even like Monica said, like, hey, maybe, I, maybe I'm not ready for full on fostering or maybe I'm not ready for adoption. Um, you know, if fostering is not, you know, able to be done with a particular child, but maybe I can get, I think you said certified as respite care. You know, maybe I can do some short term to give those that can do that some type of reprieve. Um, because the truth is y'all doing full time, like that's full time ministry. It's like Sarah said, like all of the, tra the trauma we got that we don't deal with, it's gonna come out or it's gonna be picked up in the mannerisms of these children. So I'm so excited um, that you got ladies were able to come on and just chat with me. Um, I just appreciate each one of you all stories. Um, I cannot wait to hear all of the feedback from this particular podcast. And again, I just wanna thank everybody uh, for coming and listening to the Sunny Side View. Ladies, thank you so much. Y'all are like absolutely the best. Thank you. Thank, 
My name is Sunday Joy, and thank you for listening to my mom's podcast.